1: Uh, solo press conference in, I think, 10 months. It's one of the rare press conferences on the eve of the one-year anniversary of his inauguration, one day away from that. This folks is Fast Money, and I'm Tyler Matheson in for Melissa Lee. We have a big show for you. We did have a big show for you. It's going to be big still, but we are going to start in Washington with Kayla Tausche, who's been listening in, and let's get to her for some of the highlights. And this has been, uh, Kayla, a really wide-ranging because there's a lot on the Buffalo table here, but he did hit on several things that are of particular interest to businesses uh, and pertaining to the economy.
2: Tyler, this is just the second time in President Biden's time in office that the press corps, or at least a lot of the press corps, have had an audience with the president here on U.S. soil, which is why they are urging him to keep going after he just tried to wrap this event. But it's happening against a backdrop of global flashpoints and a string of domestic defeats. But President Biden uh, just t- touting some of his achievements at the top of the event, talking about the vaccination drive, the job creation, and the economic growth that have happened on his watch. But there are some darker truths behind some of the statistics that he raised. For instance, he talked about decreasing child poverty, but that has come because of the child tax credit, which just expired last month. Now many households uh, are without that for the first time in six months, and they're asking what happens next. Uh, he also talked about the fact that inflation, uh, he laid it squarely at the feet of the Federal Reserve to grapple with inflation, though he did suggest that some actions on the supply chain will try to alleviate some of the Pain that Americans are feeling. Uh, and then he tried to preview a little bit uh, in several questions what his year two agenda is going to look like. He was pressed many times on what voting rights legislation will look like. He said he thinks he can get pieces of the bills that have been proposed passed. And if not, he's going to pursue some executive action there. On his landmark Build Back Better social and climate spending package, he said he believes that he does have support uh, to get some pieces of that as well, namely early childhood education. And some of the revenue raisers that would pay for that he suggested his top trade official is currently weighing the lifting of tariffs on some Chinese goods and says that he wants to get to a place where he can tell Beijing that they have uh, made up their part of the phase one trade agreement and that some of those can be lifted but by far his steepest foreign policy challenge will be deterring a Russian invasion of Ukraine Tyler so many questions on that front today he said he believes Vladimir Putin wants to test the West and test the United States, and that there is there is some division among NATO partners on the extent to which they want to respond to Mr. Putin, depending on the level of the invasion. He made some waves, Mr. Biden did, when he suggested that perhaps a minor incursion by Mr. Putin would not be met with significant actions. But then later, he walked that back or attempted to walk that back. And throughout, he was consistent in saying that he believes that Mr. Putin has not seen sanctions as costly as the one that the ones that the U.S. is putting on the table and that there will be a steep financial and human toll for Russia if Mr. Putin does invade. Tyler.
1: very much. And one of the things he did uh, seem to point out there is that uh, if Russia moves against Ukraine, Russian banks would not be able to deal in U.S. dollars. That would be a stiff uh, and, and, and stern penalty for them, uh, but it remains to be seen, of course. Kayla, keep, keep listening in. We may come back to you. Thanks. Sure. All right. Uh, I don't know, uh, lady and gentlemen, whether we've we've got a trade here. We've got Guy, Tim, uh, Steve and Karen with us tonight. Uh, But let me ask you, Karen, is there any trade that you can discern from the hour and 25 minutes that we just heard from the president?
3: No, I don't know that there would have been, actually. I feel like what was going on in the markets and uh, was sort of the the big story of the day. I, I didn't so nothing really made me feel that something dramatic was going to happen as a result of this. But all that having been said, I thought it was sort of a very interesting day in the market. And we started to see it wasn't a panic yet, but we started to see volatility index tick up. And, you know, clearly that last hour was a bad one. So. I think we could be looking at a very interesting day tomorrow. Maybe a turnaround day. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it really, it really did sort of start to slip away. I was on the air in the 2 to 3 p.m. hour, and things were starting to move and slide. And this feels more and more, Guy, like a little bit of a mudslide. You can't get out of the way of it. I mean, there are places where you can make some money, I guess, some, some individual companies that were moving higher. But generally speaking, this, was a, this felt a little bit like a mudslide.
0: Yeah, Mudslide, great drink, by the way. If you want to go to ah. Tim's bar, I'm sure one of his bar keeps will make that. And Tyler, listen, you mentioned how rare it is to have a Biden press conference. Even more rare, our ability to have TV time with you, which is always a well, gift. thank you. You asked, Karen, what the trades are. <laughs> Look, I'll, tell, I'll give you two. I think energy, he's poking the bear clearly. And I think this thing with Russia, my sense is it gets worse before it gets better. And I think all things point continue to point to the energy trade. And just sort of tangentially, he mentioned uh, the ability to do things in cyber world. I think cybersecurity is still front and center. So those are my two takeaways. That's interesting. And and
1: Tim, you spent a lot of time studying Russia and and investing there. And and so I'm very interested in your perspective on what's going on in Ukraine. Uh, The president certainly indicated that he he didn't think uh, Putin had made up his mind yet. Uh, BUT HE CERTAINLY DID INDICATE THAT HE THINKS HE'S GOING TO DO SOMETHING. YOU DON'T COME THIS FAR, BIG, company, big countries, HE SAID AT ONE POINT, uh, DON'T DO SMALL THINGS or, OR SOMETHING TO THAT EFFECT. I WONDER WHAT YOU THINK THE EFFECT OF AN INCURSION INTO UKRAINE WOULD BE ON GLOBAL STOCK MARKETS.
4: Well, I, I, look, I, I think there would be obviously a spike in the price of oil. There would probably be a rally in the dollar. There'd probably be a, a dynamic with yields that actually might bring yields down a bit. But I, look, I, you, know, you asked about you know, Putin's intentions in Ukraine and just we, we, we could spend three hours on this and not even have gotten to the surface. Simply, uh, Russia and Putin feel that Ukraine and even Belarus are part of the Russian sphere. Um, they're, they're, they, they see that NATO backed up to their uh, back door as you know, a great insult and something similar to how we might feel if uh, someone was doing that in Puerto Rico. So uh, you know, I think uh, the, the relevancy of Putin in the global world is something I think he continues to try and fight for. And I think this is about also trying to maintain his, his power base in Russia, which you know, without, without that rule, um, I think Putin has, has major issues in the next regime in Russia. So, um, look, th- that's the story here. And I think the, in terms of Biden and some of the things that I think we're focused on today in the speech, uh, foreign policy is certainly a place where I think there's been some concern. It, the, the clumsy exit from Afghanistan, I know it was discussed. I'm sure there's plenty of reasons why. Um, but I think when you think about the Biden presidency as it relates to markets, um, the, the biggest issues are related to COVID, and, and then really uh, inflation and, mm-hmm. and the Federal Reserve. And it's with some irony that if you think about the, the Biden administration um, is actually going to have to deal with the aggressive Fed that the Trump administration um, was uh, you know, lashing out at the, the entire time. And to Jerome Powell's credit, uh, I think reasserted the independence of the central bank. But it, it's, it's this central bank right now um, that's putting a lot of pressure on the market, which we know Puts pressure on the president's popularity, but
1: eventually Powell didn't. Am I re- remembering correctly, Tim? Didn't eventually, Mr. Powell kind of reverse course there? I, I remember the fault was at the fall of 20. 20- 18 or 2019, I can't remember. But it, w- yeah. it was in the fall there, right around October. Things, The market was not reacting well. Um, and then by December, he would kind of uh, uh, did, did a little bit, Powell did, a little bit of a pivot. Before we move on to our first guest, Steve Grasso, I'll give you uh, the final word here. Pick it up wherever you'd like. You can talk about uh, uh, his comments about the Fed and inflation uh, and uh, that he, he seems to want the Fed to bear down on inflation and bear the brunt of making sure that it does not become entrenched.
5: Sure. That's so so that's the macro. That's the overarching. But what I think many of us have forgotten is he did get past a one point two trillion dollar infrastructure deal before the holidays. So there might be a build back never plan (laughs) or it might be cut up. But you but you have to look at um, Caterpillar, John Deere, URI. URI definitely underperformed. CAT's up 10% in the month. URI is down 7%. CAT's uh, actually chart looks a lot better than the rest, but pick up where Tim left off. Lockheed Martin, General Dynamics, Northrop. All, all of these names are your Russia, Ukraine bets. China, Taiwan bets after the Olympics, uh, when, they, when maybe, maybe when they lift their head up a little bit. But Russia, Ukraine, General Dynamics up 4% in the month, Lockheed up uh, probably around the same amount. So I would say those charts defense aerospace is are probably where you want to be off of that
1: interesting interesting point and there's a call for for investors uh, at home to uh, to think about for more reaction now to uh, the president's comments uh, let's turn to ed mills uh, washington policy analyst at raymond james mr mills welcome good to have you here um... what did you hear the president say with respect to either the economy or to trade or uh, to inflation that gives you a sense of what's going to happen over the next year or so in terms of policy and maybe affect the markets?
6: Yeah, Tyler, I I heard three things. One, build back better is going to be build back smaller. Number two, inflation, that's Jay Powell and the Fed's concern. Number three, um, Russia, he does not want to have a bright line, a a red line, if you will, uh, with their incursion in the Ukraine. From a market perspective, the first one, build back smaller. There is probably going to be a significant amount of energy tax credits if anything gets done. To Steve Grasso's point, we still have the infrastructure bill that a lot of people don't remember on inflation in the Fed. um, That's political cover for Powell to raise rates. That should be good for financials. And the final piece uh, where we could have some growing uh, geopolitical risk. Uh, that's a market risk overall. Does that further drive sentiment to the negative? But in the near term, that's good for the defense stocks as well as commodities.
1: Well, And that's certainly what Steve just pointed out. Some of the defense stocks, General Dynamics, Lockheed's uh, and so forth. Ed, did you did you hear anything? um In his comments, other than sort of, hey, Fed, go get inflation, that he plans to do to fight inflation. He did reference briefly, glancingly, the idea that he might uh, use uh, anti-competitive law against the four, the big four meatpacking companies to try and spur competition and bring prices down there. Is that a realistic idea?
6: I'm not sure if it's realistic, Tyler, that we'll see action, but you've seen a significant shift in conversations in D.C., especially among the Biden administration and congressional Democrats. The message is it's not our fault. It's not the Fed's fault. The fault is with the big businesses who are getting outsized profits. I would expect that to be more pressure from the Federal Trade Commission, more pressure from the Justice Department, Antitrust Division, Mm -hmm. to push their competitiveness agenda He signed an executive order back in July. He's going to hold another meeting later this month. The rhetoric is going to increase. I think that could impact multiples on some tech stocks in addition to some of those inflation concerns. Can they get something done? That's where I'm a lot more skeptical, Tyler, at this point.
1: All right, Ed, thank you very much for your time. Ed Mills of Raymond James. We appreciate your analysis this evening. We're going to take a quick break, but coming up, a consumer breakdown. We're hitting the charts to find out where the discretionary sector is headed next. Uh, The key levels are coming up. Don't go anywhere. We got more fast money after this. Welcome back, everybody. The consumer getting beat up today as rising interest rates loom over the market. But the question then becomes: Is the selling overdone? Let's bring in Katie Stockton of Fairlead Strategies on whether she sees more pain ahead. Katie, welcome. Higher interest rates also weighing uh, on home builders, among not just con- consumer companies, uh, but but take us through your argument here on consumer stocks, consumer discretionary.
7: Well, really, just today, we downgraded the sector in relative terms versus the S&P 500 to underweight. And we did that because we have breakdowns. So breakdown in, for one example, the ratio of the consumer discretionary spider to the S&P 500. That took out its 200-day moving average. We also have a breakdown in XLY itself. So we want to be really mindful of that loss of momentum and relative strength behind the space and and respect that and reduce exposure and following, noting that next support levels are pretty well below. Amazon is probably the best example and really one of the biggest drags of late on the XLY and consumer discretionary sector more broadly. Amazon has a pretty major breakdown on its chart. If you look at something called the cloud model, it sounds kind of fancy, but it's just a gauge of support and resistance. And that support level was taken out for the first time since 2015. And it does increase risk of a deeper corrective phase. It doesn't mean it has to happen tomorrow or next week, but it does support downside follow through there. And as you mentioned, also the home builders have been under pressure. We do think yields will work their way higher with a targeted level of about 213 based on the breakout that seems to be underway. The home builders are reacting with a pullback, and that pullback reflects a loss of momentum. If you look at an ETF like ITB, it's really the first, we call it a MACD cell signal. So the histogram has fallen into negative territory pretty deeply, and that reflects a meaningful loss of intermediate term momentum, albeit still within the long term uptrend. Why is this happening, Katie? What, what, what is your hunch? I mean, it's a a very real shift in market sentiment and and probably not accidentally related to the start of a new year. Uh, The major indices are really under pressure and that's coming alongside weakness from the mega caps. If the mega caps like Apple falling below its 50 day moving average today, that that makes it very hard for the major indices to work higher. So you get a little bit of that fear instilled in the marketplace and folks are less willing to hold on to their winners. They want to sort of penalize those winners by taking some profits.
1: All right, Katie, thanks very much. Katie Stockton of Fairlead uh, Strategies founder uh, with us tonight. Appreciate it. Let's trade this one, uh, Karen. If we, I thought the consumer was in pretty good shape. I thought balance sheets were good. Jobs are good. Um, they've got more wealth. Their houses are worth more. Their 401ks are worth more. Why wouldn't consumer stocks be
4: holding up a little mm-hmm. better?
3: Well I think there it's not a monolith of consumer stocks some are some aren't but she brings up some really important points about whether this home building and home buying spree is over and there's sort of I think of three different tranches of there's the home builders which trade at much lower multiples and have done very well then there's sort of home builder retailers which I own like a Home Depot and a Lowe's and it could be things like Sherwin Williams and then there's sort of the things that feed into that like a name like William sonoma or Restoration Hardware that um, Tim pointed out on our afternoon call that have just really gotten massacred. And I get why, but I do think there's still value there. And I agree with you. I, I feel that the consumer's in decent shape. I know we'll get to it later in Bank of America, but Brian Moynihan thinks the consumer's in good shape. So I think parts of this are overdone. Tim, what
4: do you think? Well, you know, go go to the earnings we've heard today, Procter & Gamble, Fastenal. Um, it, you know, they're talking about the, the labor and inflation pressures across the board and where they're passing it on. In fact, they both were kind of almost, uh, you know, Pretty pretty cocky that they're passing it on. I thought, um, but I you know you look at look at a Nike, look at a Lululemon, look at a Starbucks. Uh, you know again, and Katie pointed out some of the charts and the breakdowns and why you have to respect those charts. And and, and again, those those three stocks are as oversold um, as they've been on an RSI basis, which is again a a limited look at at short-term momentum. But again, we haven't seen this kind of velocity of down moves in these stocks. Starbucks down 17% in the last 11 sessions, and meanwhile um, the numbers we got on December. Uh, Uh, In terms of comps and and reacceleration, is that uh, they were up probably 10 to 15 percent. Um, I think with Nike we know that story there with Lululemon this is a story that now at this point you know after you've pulled the stock back it's it's trading somewhere around you know, it's gonna this is gonna do you know, 10 10.50 10. a share depending on who you ask so we're trading inside of 30 probably 27 times 2023 I think you've gotten to a place where you've had major corrections and and I think the biggest issues for these companies to me are on margin um, what are they doing with labor what are they doing with input costs and I think that's what has the market concern very very, very interesting and we look
1: at those charts there and you see them all sort of rolling over there in the in the November-December period and, and coming down rather significantly. Let's uh, take a quick break and when we come back, the new kid on the banking block, uh, what the latest news is from SoFi, uh, what it means for the way you handle your money and the fintech stock. More on that is next when Fast Money returns in two. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to Fast Money. Shares of the fintech firm SoFi topping the tape in a big way today after clearing a final regulatory hurdle to become a bank. So let's trade it. uh, And I'm going to turn to you, Steve, first. What what does this mean for SoFi? And what does it mean for the, I guess we call them the more conventional big banks?
5: So if you think about this, the the younger generation don't see the traditional money center banks as equating to them any longer. If you go to SoFi now, you could do your banking, you could do your loans there, you could trade crypto, you could trade stocks, you could trade IPOs. You can't do that with JP Morgan. You're not buying crypto with Citibank. You don't allow, those are the dinosaur names now. Granted, they've had a great run and the SoFi's of the world are the growth entity. So we've seen the massive sell-off in growth the massive repurchase of value, but at these levels, technically, SoFi is a screaming buy. It, it started to bounce right where it bounced last January, and it doubled by February. Guy, do you agree, disagree? What's your take?
0: I agree 100%, but I also have to say that I never thought it would get down to 12 and change. You know, I thought it was going to bottom out around 15. Obviously, it shot through it, but I think you had some price capitulation and volume capitulation over the last couple of days. And if you go back and look, you'll see that every time SoFi gets down to these you know, 14 levels or so, the ensuing bounce is pretty significant. I think this should be a, a stock that's north of $22. I think there's some analysts on the street that agree with this, and maybe this is the catalyst that will lift some of the uncertainty. I'm not sure that it will be, but I just think in terms of the stock, I think it's too valuable an entity to be trading at these levels. All right, Guy,
1: thanks. We'll take another break here. Coming up, we're about to uh, kick off tech earnings season uh, with Netflix after the bell tomorrow, and we'll tell you how options traders are playing the name when Fast Money returns. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, uh, to Fast Money. Netflix is on deck to report earnings tomorrow. One options trader is betting there could be something interesting in store. Tony Zhang is uh, with us now to break down the action. Uh, Tony, good to see you. What's the story?
8: Good to see you, Tyler. Not only interesting, but also very specific. Netflix traded 1.3 times the average trading daily volume here today, but the market market is currently implying about a 7.5% move versus the 6.2% that we've actually seen over the last eight quarters. So a fairly substantial deviation there. And one trader is trading that by taking 725 contracts of the January-March $500 straddle swap. Now to break down this trade, they sold 725 contracts of the January 500 calls of straddles, for about $40 and then purchased 725 contracts of the March $500 straddles for about $66. The implied volatility difference between those two contracts is 106% for the front month, 41% for the for the back month. So really taking a delta neutral approach to Netflix, betting that we won't see a big move on, on Netflix, uh, maximum profit if the stock is at $500 on the Friday
1: all right tony thanks very much Uh, that's the options action and for more options action you can tune into the full program that's friday at 5 30 p.m eastern time up next we got some final trades all right let's see what four smart people can do in 41 seconds in their final trades around the horn tim you
4: first Thank you, Tyler. Starbucks, I think there's good support here, 96-97. All right, Karen, you're next.
3: Thanks for being here, Tyler. We said bank earnings season would be ugly. It was, but Bank America did themselves proud. I bought some stock today.
5: Steve, your turn. I know you love this one, Tyler. Trinseo up 15% in the last month. Perfect value play for where we're at now. Much more upside ahead. Guy, you got seven seconds. New That's it.
1: That was one second. Thanks for watching. Mad Money's next.
5: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.